The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Cookie wants to be a professional wrestler. I'm Cookie Serratos and I'm 11 years old. She also wants to win all the medals. That's why Cookie and her family make every day count, squeezing out her best with Go-Go Squeeze. Okay, Cookie, let's break for a Go-Go Squeeze. Go-Go Squeeze fruit-on-the-go pouches are a nutritious snack made from 100% fruit with no sugar added. Go, Cookie! Because when you nurture your kids, you squeeze out the best in them. Squeeze out their best with Go-Go Squeeze. Not a low-calorie food. Products range from 11 to 13 grams of sugar and 60 to 70 calories per serving. It is your weekly show here on The Blue Room. I am Matt Jones. I'm joined by Paddy Boyland and Mark Mosey. And this week, we're going to be going through all sorts of things, including Anderson's loss to Manchester United at the weekend. They get three in a row in the Premier League. Uh, also, the survey that Club put out regarding Bramley Moor Dock uh, to the supporters as well. Uh, but just, and I know it's been, been tough recently, lads, losing three games in a row. But just as we've come on air then, uh, Cheng Tosin scored a penalty for Turkey, so it's all going to be all right, Mose. All going to be okay. It's just, it's just laughable, isn't it? Like it's, it's hard to. It's when you when you see him coming on as a sub, and you just all all sorts of affiliation of that man with this team. It's just like you've transformed. You've gone back in time, like eighteen months, to when there was some actual promise there, and the worst possible thing that could happen for a fragile fan base in need of something positive is him going away and scoring on international duty and instantly making himself three or four times the player that we actually know he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a it's one that always seems to happen with Tosin. He'll either go away and score a couple of goals or get into some mad fight in the stands and and. <laughs> It's almost as though the international platform is just, it's an arena for him to make himself relevant again. So, fair play to the fella. Yeah, there we go. Is Shank Tosin the answer party to Everson's problems? <laughs> right. Um, it, just, it feels like we're locked in this cycle, doesn't it, where it's Tosin down to the Everton side and Everton are in a bit of a rut. He goes away with his international side, scores a goal, and like Moses said, all of a sudden then he becomes the answer to every problem. I think almost by default, when you're not in the side and you're not in a side that's losing games, you, you do become the answer, don't you? So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously good for him to, to get his confidence up and score a goal. Yeah. Captain, Captain Turkey against Croatia as well. So on a personal level for him, sure, very good news. Everton are going to have to rely on him to an extent, aren't they? Uh, certainly over the coming weeks and until January when, when there's a chance he, he might get shifted. Um, I don't think they necessarily wanted to have to rely on him. Um, but it just feels like there's been a bit of a perfect storm, doesn't it? And mm. we've had a situation where James has been out and and um, Richarlison as well. Richarlison's been suspended. I think Richarlison's probably Everton's second choice centre forward. 
first oh, yeah. choice left left winger and and a second choice centre forward. But because Richarlison has been suspended, it means that uh, obviously Tosin's been filling in there. So it just goes to show, doesn't it, that you scratch a little bit below the surface and the strength and depth maybe not where it where it should be. Certainly not for a side that's got aspirations of of kind of qualifying for Europe. Of course, yeah. I obviously saying that in jest to start off there. I don't think we can lay any any real blame at Chentos Peter and Emerson's plight recently. Uh, we'll get onto that a little bit later, though. Um, matters on the pitch. I want to start with matters off the pitch. Lads, obviously, you mentioned at the start of the show there that the club have been sending out a survey to supporters this week about Bramley Moore Dock. And we've had a few of these over the past year or so in regards to consultation. We've had a lot of talk about the ground, the one we want to see from the stadium, what we want the aesthetics to be like, what we want the stands in there to be like, how close we want the pitch, etc. Cetera, et cetera. We've, we've gone through all that over the last few years or so. The, the one the club put out this week was very much putting yourself in the position of going to a football match there and getting a sense of what people want from that. And that's in regards to buying your season tickets, it's in regards to going to matches to watch the, the football, what you're going to do when you're in the ground. and. Um, and I know you spoke to the club about this earlier in the week, Paddy. We had we had a chat with them as well, and they were sort of quite open in regards to saying a lot of this is hypothetical. You know, if, if you say you want to sit in a certain part of the stand, you're not going to be welded to sit in there in three years' time when we move there. Um, but there's, there's some interesting stuff in there, wasn't there, in regards to the, the potential options of Bramley Mordock? And I think mean, the, the overwhelming feeling I got reading it was that it feels as though they're making a, a real conscious effort to make sure that there's, there's something for everyone and something for every different demographic of Evertonian here. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. And I think that the first thing to say on this is you, you talk about consultation. I think at every step along the, the line, every step in this process, to be fair to Everton and give credit where it's due, they have made this a two-way conversation. And I, I mean that not only with supporters, but also residents of the city of Liverpool too and, and other stakeholders so this is a continuation of that process it feels very much obviously like the next step um, and I, I suppose it suggests an air of confidence that we will be moving to Bramley Moor and they will get that planning permission later this year hopefully so it is like you say it, it, there is something for everyone there that kind of even though the price points are hypothetical you can see from the disparity that is everything from effectively what you pay at Goodison now in theory all the way through in this hypothetical range to premium seating and for kind of variations of of um, premium seating. I don't know about you but one of the things that caught my interest in, uh, my eye straight away interestingly was the, the loge, physical loge, loge seating from the US and I think they used the, um, a picture from the Miami Dolphins to emphasise that effectively it's like it's like being in a front room of a house, but having the view out onto the stadium. So it, I thought that was an interesting idea, pretty pioneering, obviously, for, for this country, uh, for stadia in this country. Um, and yeah, just just nice to get an inkling as to what they're looking at, what, what's being discussed. Obviously, this will then feed into the next step of the process and things will be filtered in, things might be filtered out. Um, so I think the things to stress are that the prices could well change and off the discussion, the hospitality offer could well change if nobody wants to pay more than a certain amount for the for the season ticket for a year. But uh, yeah, like like I say, I, I think all you can do is applaud Everton for being open and tra- transparent throughout the process. Uh, Mark, you said you got the survey through today. Uh, what, what were your initial thoughts on it? 
Uh, my initial thought was that I was relying on Paddy Boylan for the pronunciation of, of Logue. Um, <laughs> I might have got it wrong there. I, I, I went for Loge, but I don't even know what that's based on. I thought Softly. it was just Lounge, spelt incorrectly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah but that, that as, as Paddy said, in terms of in terms of hospitality offerings, that was the one that, that turned heads slightly just because it's it's pioneering for, for the Premier League. Um, as, as much as, from a, from a purist in terms of a fan point of view, I think everyone envisages themselves as, of being one of the 75,000 who want to sit in that self-stand. Um, so there's clearly going to be some issues there. For the, the hypothetical seating arrangements that some of the questions revolved around, I could almost hear people screaming that I don't want to sit on the halfway line or up in the corner behind the way fans. But I think the club, obviously, as Paddy said, have been have been so good in terms of this kind of two-way engagement um, to the point where you, you feel that involved in it now. They'll probably invite every season ticket holder down to lay a brick when this starts happening because it, 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 there is a sense of possession already about this stadium for so many of the fans. Um, from from a very basic point of view, receiving this email about the survey, it was primarily just reassuring that things are progressing at yeah. a natural pace that you would expect them to, regardless of, of the state of planet Earth at the moment. Um, I don't think there would have been any apologies from the club if they would have had to delay this or... or and then, Cancellation is is not something that we ever really dreamt of as much as Evertonians are eternally pessimistic. But given the state of, of the economy and sport in general at the moment, we all would have anticipated some form of issue here. Um, and it touch wood looks as though that is not the case. Um, on your point, Matt, in terms of what this survey represents, it was probably, it was the first time for me that I got genuinely excited and could probably put myself in in a scenario of going to an Everton match there. It was only when we got the sort of this survey in the last couple of days that I thought everything up until this point has been, as you said, very, very much focused on the aesthetics. It was it was very much a nod towards, in my opinion, how football fans in general would see this stadium. The survey that we got today was about how Evertonians perceive this stadium to be. If if you're interested in the aesthetics of a stadium or how, how pretty things look, then quite honestly, you wouldn't be an Everton supporter because going to Goodison Park and watching this team does not revolve around those sorts of morals and those sorts of issues. It's about, obviously, success on the pitch, which is what we, what we long for in any stadium, but I think for, for most Evertonians, you'd say it's about a very natural feeling about what going to the game means to you. And this survey seems to revolve around that. As much as hospitality issues are, of course, a concern for all, all match-going fans, what you, I, I wanted to see questions on that survey about what you eat and drink, where you eat and drink, who you socialise with, why do you go to watch Everton? And it was, it, was re- it was as though the survey was written by a bunch of, of fans. And as much as there was a, a lot more design elements around the questioning than, than something so natural like that, it, it felt as though as, as so many of these stages of the development have been, it, it felt like a, a conversation that I, I wanted to have. It was enjoyable to complete the survey because it was so in touch with what I see an Everton match day to be. 
Um, so yeah, it was it was definitely an interesting one. It definitely made it feel a, a lot more a lot more real. Um, as much as as much as seeing the pictures of the outside of the ground is, it's nice to be able to envisage what an Everton match day will be. And as much as we we jest about hospitality and, and the low seating and those sorts of offerings that will be there. I'm sure after game six or seven, when we've got Burnley at home on a Sunday at two o'clock, we'll all be ushering out straight out of that self stand and into a nice comfy plush couch watching watching probably another game on, on one of your screens. Mm. Yeah, I think that that's the point about it feeling like it's, it was specific to you, I think is a really good one. I think the club have sent out different, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think they sent out different yeah. surveys to different demographics, haven't they? And different people. So those who are abroad, they may come over to Goodison Park once or twice, you know, every year or two years or so, they get a different survey. People who've got seen tickets get one. So I imagine we would all be in the same sort of bracket there. And then casual supporters who maybe can go to one or two games a season get one as well. And I think you're right in regards to the, the process feeling like an enjoyable one because I think sometimes you see, you know, we, I think we've all probably done it. You get a survey about doing, you know, things in everyday life and you say this is going to take 15 minutes or 20 minutes you think oh my god I don't want to click through all this I can't be bothered but but I think you're right it, it was really engaging and I think that's where the, the club deserves a lot of credit for doing that because it feels like it hits on points that are important to you and I think if they're going to get the best data possible and get the, the best pool of data going forward and they can can you know carry out really good research from and for a research from, and that's important that people are engaged in this in this process. So, absolutely, you know, made up from that sense. I think that the, the one the one small concern I had with it was in regards to the the world. You, you mentioned those in regards to the world, say to the world at the moment and people's situations, but there'll be a lot of people in the city, um, you know, around the world who are Evertonians who are worried about money at the moment, who are worried about the jobs, who are worried about what they could even afford a season ticket a couple of years down the line. And I think with that in mind, maybe a follow-up survey or something like that in regards to whether people's circumstances have changed, whether they'd be more willing to look at hospitality now. You know, Saying now is in like a year down the line when circumstances might be a bit different for them. Maybe something like that might be important to just give it a refresh and see if that's changed anything. Because we all sort of hope in a year's time that we'll be back in Goodison Park watching the match again. People will be feeling a lot more secure and a lot happier about their own situations. And that in turn might impinge and, and impact what they put down in the server like that. Uh, Paddy? Yeah, I, I just think that this will partly happen as a result of the survey that we've all had this week anyway. If loads of people decide that price is an issue and that they're picking seats towards the lower end of that kind of quite broad spectrum, then Everton are quite clearly going to have to look at what they can do over pricing. And not even pricing, but I think what Everton do quite well at the moment at Goodison is make it so that it, it's flexible. You can you can pay in instalments. There's a variety of different ways you can do that. And we are, we are fortunate, and maybe we can't take this for granted forever, but we are fortunate that this version of Everton, this one we're supporting right now, tends to do the right things when it comes to pricing in general. Let's be honest, given the situation, the economic situation of the northwest of England, particularly Liverpool, Liverpool's not a wealthy city and, and hasn't been for a good while. So they can't go in at Tottenham Hotspur prices or Arsenal prices. That's just not going to be viable for anyone. Um, so they will get this big data set. And one of the things I enjoyed actually looking at the survey was how the algorithm started to preempt the things. You almost like when I buy these, obviously I, I'm 
member of the media I go in, in the press lounge now so I don't normally buy my own tickets but when I do go the game as a kind of general fan I just do it instinctively and I'll, I'll sit in the same area of the ground I've never really unpacked in my head why I sit where I do why, why do you go in the lower gladys why do you go in the if you go in the parking like Mark and you, you like to moan um, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I've never really, I've never really thought about that consciously, and I guess what this survey does is, as you're making your decisions, it starts to take you through that process yourself. Are you most concerned with price? Are you most concerned with the view? Do you want to be part of the atmosphere? And like you said, there, the South Stand's going to be that big, hopefully massive end, home end, where there'll be a cacophony of noise, a bit like the Gladys Street, but kind of 2.0, and. Um, Loads of people want to go there, but yeah, I, I, I thought it was really interesting to understand the processes really behind why we make those decisions. Yeah, it was it was just fascinating stuff. Uh, so if you haven't, if you, if you got any thoughts on that, you're watching this on YouTube, let us know. Yeah, what are your thoughts of the survey? What are your thoughts about the stuff about safe standing? We haven't even touched upon that as well. That was really interesting. I thought. Uh, if you watch on YouTube, let us know your thoughts on it. If you haven't filled it out yet, do fill it out as well. Obviously, the more people that do it. Uh, the better uh, grasp the club will get on what we all want as supporters. Uh, of course, we're not a homogenous group in that sense, but what the fan base in general uh, wants from, from this new stadium. Uh, Own a big wave on draft. Yeah, that, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure Mark put that in the comments, mate. Absolutely no doubt about that. You went for the mango pale or something, <laughs> didn't you? Cheng Tosin to score the opening goal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Front three of Gordon... Tosin Balassi, that's all I need in three years' time. There we go. Well, that's actually. I heard, I heard, Dave, I heard Dave put on, on kind of the other section on his comments Tom Davis to be captain in the new stadium. Yeah. Yeah. I'm confirmed, but that, that's what I've heard. There we go. <laughs> that's all we want, yeah. What a lineup that would be. Uh, it'd be great to watch Everton in the Championship at that point, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> so so let, let's move on. Moe's mentioned one of the players I wanted to speak about specifically there. Um, he actually oh. wasn't involved in the first team at the weekend. It's Anthony Gordon. Um, was off the ground, Paddy. Um, Travelled with the squad, and then I think there were a few reports, indications before the game that he wasn't going to be playing, didn't have his bags mm-hmm. with him. Subsequently played for the under-23s on Sunday against Chelsea and did very well. Hit the bar inside the first minute. Yes. Set up uh, Tyler and Yango's goal. And you've done a piece today. Well, I think you did a bit, a bit of a Q&A for, for the Athletic Dinner about various things. And one of the interesting things you reported on was that Anthony Gordon asked to play in the under-23s on Sunday, despite being very much a member of the first-team squad now. Um, just sort of looking back over the, the three games, I know you, you spoke about this on, on Twitter, um, it does feel to me a little bit, a little bit disappointing that, that he wasn't used a little bit more. And I'm not sitting here saying that this is a lad who could have transformed every Everton game into a win over the last few weeks, and would have, you know, would have scored a lot more goals and picked up a lot more points of views inside. But it just feels like a bit of a an opportunity missed to see what this lad's about, to learn a little bit more about him, and to see if he could have had. Or sort of put himself forward as a viable alternative to Richarlison? Yeah, I'd, I'd go a step further and I think we've missed a valuable opportunity to work out what this team is without Richarlison, period. There could well be other points in the season where they need to cope without him. There might be well, may well be other points in the years to come where he's no longer an Everton player, let, let's say for argument's sake. And I think that there was the question facing Ancelotti before this three-game run was how do you replace somebody like him? 
And obviously he starts off with Awobi and pretty much the same system, you'd probably say, away to Southampton. But Awobi, because he's a completely different player, doesn't have that same level of balance, the front three. I don't think anybody's looking to push on him behind and, and break the lines and, and come to attack. Because of how badly that game went, it felt to me as though Carlo took the paper and ripped it up and went for something completely different against, against Newcastle, which also didn't work with, with the players at his disposal. And then a slight reversion back to something more similar to what we've been playing throughout the season with Bernard against Manchester United. And I, I don't think it was a good team performance, far from it, but Bernard was probably one of the shining lights of it, given kind of what he did with and without the ball, I'd say. It's it created a bit of a talking point, I think, over Gordon because I think that there was an expectation, rightly or wrongly, among the fan base that he was going to be the one to profit from Richarlison's injury, uh, suspension, sorry. Uh, we obviously got an awful lot of injuries as well, so that's why there's a Freudian slip. But yeah, Richarlison's suspension, I think, it was like this idea that Gordon was, let's say, the like-for-like replacement or the closest to, to replacing Richarlison's energy and that he'd be the one to profit. But actually, looking back on this in hindsight, you look at the start of the season, there was never any real evidence to suggest that Gordon was going to be the one to profit, to get into the side and get the nod. He's hardly featured in the Premier League this season. And I will consider that to be slightly disappointing because I think he does have something to offer, even if it's just off the bench. Are we any further now? After all those different setups and game plans in those three games, are we any further now to understanding how Everton can win a game of football, any game of football, without Richarlison? Because they still haven't done that. And if you ask 100 Evertonians, let's say 99 to 100, then we're going to say there's a resounding no there. Mm. We've not we've not done that and we've not progressed. And, and Carlo hit the nail on the head. He, he spoke about Richarlison being irreplaceable. Um the need to almost change how Everton play to compensate when he's not there. Maybe they just changed the way Everton played a little bit too much and veered away from the principles that got them where they were early in the season. And it, it was almost a pale imitation of what you expected Everton to be. He is still talisman Richarlison. He's still the guy, I think, that leads the press from the front. As you've seen, to his detriment, he can be too aggressive out of possession um, and look to throw himself into tackles, as, as he did in the Merseyside derby. But he's also the only one, like I said, that effectively becomes both a goal scorer and a creator and, a, and the kind of guy that gets things going. I describe him as a motor in a piece, the motor of the team, because he's just the one that kind of grabs everything, grabs people by the scruff of the neck. And through sheer force of will, through sheer energy, he's the one that drags Everton through games. And they've missed that. I think they've missed his attitude as much as his football as much as his footballing ability, because again, it's almost been a case of kind of shrinking violets in the um, in the last three games. So um, I'm I'm hoping against Fulham, Touchwoody, he is fit after coming back from international duty. I'm, I'm hoping Touchwoody, he obviously returns to the side, and we see a much more gnarly Everton mm. after after the break, because because maybe they're just being too nice recently. <laughs> When they have 11, 11 aside games in training, do you reckon the team that doesn't have Richarlison has ever won? Or <laughs> is it just going to go off when the Bibs win a game in training one day and Richarlison? Do you reckon it's Richarlison the under-23s versus the, the rest of the first team? The, the other-23s and him with the win? Yeah, but Gordon plays in the first team one just to 
Um, I I actually think this the Anthony Gordon situation as it's as it's now becoming Gordon uh, Gate, Gordon Gate, is potentially a dangerous one. Um, I think he. I'm going to warn everyone now. I'm going to make a lot of Anthony Gordon, Adam Ola, Luckman comparisons, which hasn't been done anywhere nearly enough. <laughs> I think we what you can see now. It's obviously the foundations of a very similar situation are there from a very basic point of view in terms of the fans want him involved and he's not involved. I think the difference with Anthony Gordon. We've obviously had him approaching the manager and the coaching staff and quite simply asking for more game time or an explanation as to why that game time hasn't already been there. I think every manager in the world, as Carlo Ancelotti has said, would see that as a really positive thing. Um, having a young, hungry footballer playing for Everton is absolutely what we need. I think the, the, the danger and the volatility in the relationship comes when Paddy referenced attitude with Richarlison. And I think in terms of feistiness, I get the I get the instinctive impression impression that Anthony Gordon probably has a little bit of that about him. Uh, I think on the pitch that there's a, an accepted reservation that Gordon is not going to show that because he's not this seasoned and experienced professional who's gonna either grab games, be, be they by the scuff of the neck on the ball or in terms of his attitude on the pitch. But certainly from what we've heard from the club with things like approaching the manager, I feel like there's, there's possibly a level of impatience there with him. Uh, and I'm, I'm saying that clearly not knowing the lad, but you do get that sort of impression that he, he really is banging on the door in so many senses to be involved. Um, and again, it, it's hard to know whether... Is there an element of frustration there? Is he, is he playing in the under-23s to, to prove a point and say, well, look what I'm doing here. Why aren't I involved? Or is it, is it from a far more innocent point of view of, I need game time. I, I quite honestly just need to, to play and to show you what I'm about. It, it's hard to know what, what the origin of, of so many of these conversations and, and so many of these actions are at the moment. But I think it's, it, it's just frustrating from, a, from an Everton fan point of view that, we are going down a road that with, with multiple young players now, and you'd even bring Ross Barkley into this by saying that we had someone at a relatively young age who we had so much promise for. And even on the back of what, three or four starts for the first 11, you'd probably sit back now and say, we're, we're more likely not to see Anthony Gordon hit his potential at Everton than we are. And I know that's, a, that's an incredibly early stage to say something like that but I think the the other element of frustration for me is that we there's probably you'd say a lack of there's a lack of total trust from Ancelotti to Anthony Gordon and I say that because if Richarlison comes out of the 11 Anthony Gordon is not the automatic replacement in which is what we've seen and if that is the case surely there's an acceptance at the end of the transfer window that something's going to happen someone's going to get injured, someone's going to get suspended. So if you don't see Anthony Gordon as an option in terms of coming into that front three, then you'd say there's a fairly obvious sense of naivety there from from the manager and the coaching staff because if he's not involved, there's been 
<laughs> get, get a bevy, Paddy. Paddy, it's just, Paddy, it's just making himself a cup of tea. <laughs> if, if Anthony Gordon is not instrumental to this squad, which he clearly isn't because he's been left out of match day squads, not first team 11s, then surely you have to go out on the transfer window and be proactive on the assumption that something's going to happen to a Richarlison or to a Carvalhoen. Um, and we had this conversation at the end of the transfer window in terms of where we were light in the squad and, and certainly up top was one of them. And I think if, if at that point you were to tell most Evertonians that Anthony Gordon was not going to be in, in the thought process at all, then a lot more questions would have been asked about our, our recruitment in the summer. Um, who are you? I'm you from the future. What do you want? I want to tell you about Dave. Dave has your future money. Spend it on whatever you need. With extra cash from Dave, you can get up to 500 bucks instantly with no interest and no credit check. Download the Dave app from the App Store right now. That's D-A-V-E. Sign up for an extra cash account and get up to $500 instantly. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com slash legal. Instant transfer fees apply. Banking provided by Evolve. Member FDIC. Yeah, I think the, there's a couple of things with, with this for me. It's, I mean, the concerning thing is that we're in a position now where because people are talking about this lad, it's talking about how good he is, it's talking about how we should be in the team. It's almost like he's being built up to something that he's not already. And I think that's that's a worry. Because if he does come into the team in you know, the next few weeks or next few months, it doesn't quite get the heights, which he probably won't, as you mentioned, because he's a young player. And he, young players he's going to up and down, doesn't he? And, but, but every 19-year-old winger in yeah. the country will have those, unless you're Jaden Sancho. Absolutely, so, mate, yeah. It, but, but, but I think... By by not by not sort of being drip fed him now as I think we probably should be, not just on that basis alone, but because he can do some offer something for the team. It's almost like people are are, make, are getting this image in the, you know, the head of this player being like a transformative figure who can you know win football matches for us, and and that's not the case. And the the other thing, and I was speaking a bit a bit with um, Conor O'Neill about this on the academy watch today, and I think. I've seen some people sort of say, well, this is the this is the payoff for having a manager like Carlo Ancelotti and having a transfer strategy like we've got now, which is very much based around um, the medium and, and short term. Uh, Paddy's just finishing off his, his cup of tea there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, mate. He's obviously riveted by our points here, mate, isn't he? You know, he's just getting up and making himself a brew. Yeah, at home with Paddy Boylan, podcast will follow shortly. Great that people are getting insights into into you know the life and times of this fellow. Being a sanctum of the uh, of the podcast. <laughs> but, but I think uh, go go back to Bianni. You're not going to get off again, are you, Paddy? No, you're in off of the duration of the show. <laughs> but I think I've seen some people sort of say this is the, this is the payoff of having a short term, you know, mantra in regards to. You want a manager who's open, he said he wants to you know, bring success. Now, we sign players in the summer, primarily between the age of 27 and 29, who are going to come into the first team and make an impact now. And that's the hope. And I get all that. But the thing that doesn't really align with that is that the players that are in there now who should be doing it and are senior are not doing it. They're not, they're not doing anything at all. You know, the, the, new, the Newcastle game was the weird one for me in regards to to not play a single wide player and instead play two lads who've been underperforming as central midfield players in the wide positions instead of giving him a chance there. That that was just a little bit strange. And this, you know, this is not a rallying call or the start of Carlo Alton or anything like that, because you know, 
everyone makes mistakes. And he, I think the manager, to be fair to say, the last few weeks has made a few mistakes. But I just find that a little bit strange. You know, the, the Cheng Tosin one, I don't really agree with him getting games ahead of Adam Simms, but I can sort of understand it because he's a senior player. They're trying to trying to move him on in January, I imagine. They want him, they want him on the pitch. And I sort of get it, albeit I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. But the, the Gordon one is just a, a little bit strange because Alex Iwobi... Doesn't doesn't fit and start starts a game and is you know typically hooked at half time. Bernard, you know, you lads have spoken about trust and the manager having trust in players. I don't think he trusts him really. You know, despite him playing particularly well at the weekend um, for for the first forty five minutes or so, but I just think that's a, a little bit strange. The, the Newcastle one in particular, it's like what well, what's going on there? So to not get on the pitch that day, I just thought was really peculiar. And that, that's that's the similarity with Adam Ola-Luckman right there because already you're saying. I wonder what's gone on there. And that, that, that whole trying to evolve your own theories behind closed doors happened for, for two years with him. And unfortunately, those, those questions do come along when, when young players aren't involved because the natural assumption is there's been an enormous bust-up at Finch Farm. Um, the, the frustration is, I think, that Carlo Ancelotti is, is using these games to learn lessons about footballers that quite honestly, and not to say that we know more than Carlo Ancelotti about football, but we, we've already learned these lessons about certain members of this team. Uh, and, and that's not to say that Ancelotti can't come in and make something totally new of a footballer. And Alex Iwobi or Bernard and countless others, senior pros who have failed to deliver. But it, it feels as though with every new manager that's come in, and, and there's been plenty of them in recent years, we kind of go through this sort of introductory cycle of a new manager finding out the same players that the previous one couldn't trust. And, and that is the frustrating element for Evertonians. And again, it, it's not us saying it should be done this way. Look at look what happened under Marco Silva or under Unsworth or whatever it may have been. But there is that there is that general growing feeling that we've kind of seen all of these games before. Uh, the Man United game at home in particular, the the promise that evolved very quickly into crushing disappointment. It, it, it feels as though we've been there and done that so many times. And Anthony Gordon, for the Evertonians that have been on that journey, he is the fresh start. He is the hope. And, and that's, why, that, that's why we are so invested in this lad already is because what these games have been about or what they should have been about and, and on a wider scale what this whole season was about is learning what Carlo Ancelotti's Everton is. I, I want to learn what Anthony Gordon has got to offer. And at the end of the season, if Ancelotti says, my season pros are going to do this for me, I'm going to go out and buy players in that 27 to 30 bracket, and I'll be, I'll be assessed in two years' time about whether there's silverware in the cabinet. Fair enough. If, if that is his policy, then let's go with it. But... It's a very dangerous one because ultimately you will be judged on how many trophies you bring in. If you sacrifice youth and jeopardise the the progression of your academy players, you better hope you bring something back for it because you are crushing the development of, of a club potentially um, and, and kind of putting a glass ceiling on those young players developing. The... The paperwork and the history for Ancelotti of doing that is, is quite simply there. The blueprint of being a successful manager. You kind of do have to hold your hands up and say, well, you run with what is right. Um, but I think the, 
it's such a massive contrast from a, a football club that has previously been so invested in bringing its own through to to then go to totally the opposite. And as much as I appreciate that Ancelotti is is probably trying to to strike a balance there, it does feel like from his comments in in the last week or so that it's it's all out for trophies and it's all out for success. And you may well find that some players potentially like Anthony Gordon kind of fall by the wayside in terms of this greater good of, of, of bringing silverware home. Yeah. Are they each other not in agreement there? Yeah, yeah. Com- completely agree. I, I, I think French Lossi, and he's been, he's been quite clear in his own aim, and the aim is to get Everton back into European competition and to win silverware as soon as possible. Quite evidently at the moment, he doesn't believe that Anthony Gordon certainly in the absence of Richarlison, is, is the player that's going to necessarily help Everton to do that. That doesn't mean maybe later in the season he couldn't. But I think what we've got now is a situation in which you, you've got the, a first-team level and then lower down Marcel Brands are trying to knit everything together in, and put it in place. So, Niels Nkunku comes in, Jared Branthwaite comes in, a lot of work in the academy on stuff. So, they're doing both. But like I say, there's just a bit of impatience there of kind of, could Anthony Gordon actually be a delight given the underperformance elsewhere? Could he actually be the one that would help Edison? Um, And that's where I am, I think, with this. I, I, even off the bench for 20, 30 minutes, I think his energy, his ability to take players on and his kind of goal-scoring nature could well help Everton, could well make the difference in tight games. So let's hope we see more of him. Let, let's hope we see more of him and he, he is the one that eventually comes through and, and becomes the player that Everton fans at the moment think he is and wants him to become because there is a lot of potential there and he is still highly rated. I think it's just about not him showing that consistently whenever he gets an opportunity, whether it be in training, in under-23s games and in first-team cameo appearances. I'm not going to go from feast to famine and vice versa overnight. You're not even going to go from an under-23 selection to being a first-team regular either overnight because Ancelotti just doesn't work like that. Everything is on performances at Finch Farm and training, um, metrics and the game plan, all those kinds of things. I just think what we've seen from Ancelotti recently, he's kind of gone with the cautious approach. It's been without our one of our goal scorers, one of our main goal scorers. We're not going to score many goals. Let's just not shut up shop as such, but let's just tighten things up and look to nick goals here or there. That's what I think the game plan was against Newcastle. And I don't think the game plan needed to be that against Newcastle because they're not a very good side. I think Everton could have gone there and played on the front foot and won the game with the players at the disposal anyway. But he did mention after the game against Manchester United on Sunday but he has been concerned and he continues to be concerned about the defensive solidity or lack of it. Mm. Um, that's going to be the big focus between now and, and that Fulham game. So I think in his head he's gone. Do I play a lad that was at Arsenal and playing in the Champions League and the Europa League? Or do I go with a 19-year-old, admittedly promising, admittedly someone that he likes, but who might not necessarily shield the, the left back or the right back as, as, as much. I'm just, just kind of trying to un- unpack the thinking and that, that type of ethical. I'm just trying to unpack the thinking. But 
I, I think most Everton fans would be in agreement that this is almost been an opportunity lost to find out stuff about this team. We're no further on in finding out anything. If, if the, the only message we've had, and we probably knew it before, worryingly, was that Everton can't cope without Richarlison. Yeah. And so, <laughs> we've not learned anything new in that regard, have we? Because Everton still can't cope without Richarlison. Thankfully, he's, he's obviously back now. Um, but maybe that's not good news for Anthony Gordon. Yeah. Um, I think that, that, that sort of takes us on to, you, know, you, you briefly mentioned the defence there, Paddy, and, and how the managers maybe look to shore things up a little bit. And, you know, that maybe makes the, you know, the porousness of that defence even more concerned and the fact that we, we have conceded so many goals in, in that regard. And just, just very quickly, you think it's, you know, Look, not looking necessarily ahead to the Fulham game in particular, but just as a whole, something's obviously got to change with this going forward because everything can't keep conceding two goals a game. And I just think with Richarlison back, I think the manager's got a really interesting decision, Moe's, in regards to what he does for the next three games because it's <coughs> Fulham, Leeds and then Burnley before a really tough run. And th- those three matches aren't, you know, on paper are ones that there's going to be favourites in every one of those games they go into. And I just think it's going to be interesting to see what he does with Richarlison back, whether he looks to change something and maybe make us a bit more cautious, a bit more defensive, like defensively solid. Maybe bring a Ben Godfrey into midfield. Uh, maybe take James and play him as a number 10 so he's not out wide and teams aren't overloaded as an outside. Something like that to make us more defensively sound. Or do you think he tries to get back to that formula that was working early in the season where Everton were playing teams they should be beating and they were just blowing them away in regards to the attack and firepower that they had and try and get back to that formula. I think that's going to be a really interesting quandary for them over the next few weeks and certainly going into that run of three games after the break. Yeah, I think his his temptation in his thought process going into those three games is, I think if Everton keep a clean sheet in any one of those games, they win it. Yeah. Um, purely because of the, the calibre of attack and talent that, that will be on, on display. Um, as much as Premier League football on the evidence of this season is not necessarily based on those sorts of tight defensive displays. I think the the reassurance from Ancelotti's point of view is that if the game does go the other way uh, and you would anticipate that any game that involves Leeds has, has the potential to and if it does open up then you unleash someone like James Rodriguez and you, you do possibly bring him into the middle and, and allow him to be a little bit more influential and get on the ball a bit more. I, Based on what you said in terms of trying to shore us up at the back, I would lean towards thinking that that is probably closer to the front of Ancelotti's mind at the moment. Hmm. Um, there's obviously been a lot of talk this week about, about Holgate and in particular someone like um, Ben Godfrey coming in and playing a, a midfield role. I think that... The defensive midfield position is something that really needs addressing. And I think what we what we really need to ascertain is, are we going to get clarity on Alan's position in this 11? Or are we going to try and shift them? I think you either say to Alan, you are the holding defensive midfield player. You're there not necessarily to get... I think what, what he's been sucking into in recent weeks has been pressing too high up the pitch. Uh, and we, we saw it for United's goal at the weekend. And I think the, the stability that a classic defensive midfielder in the centre of the park is there to offer you is clearly missing at the moment because we are still seeing opposition teams go straight through the middle of us. So you either re, 
address that and, and kind of reposition Alan in the centre of that three. Or you bring someone in and, and you allow Alan to, to go in and be that presser and, and possibly get, excuse me, possibly get a little bit more involved on the ball and, and in Evans progression of the pitch. And that, that is the decision that Ancelotti has. Um, the, he, he's looked like an ill-disciplined central midfielder in, in his opening for me. Uh, not not only from a disciplinary point of view, which was an issue against United, but I think from a positional sense, he he's kind of worried me in the in the last couple of games because he was probably the the signing that I was most excited to to see because we all we all saw him as this sort of you know th- there was an affinity with what Everton meant. There was that sort of robustness in the middle. There was that socks rolled down desire to just win every ball and, and be constantly involved and he struck you as someone who this 11 would be built around there's there's been no real consistency and, and nothing to build on that would suggest that I've got that much faith in him at the moment and don't get me wrong he, he probably strikes me as one of those players who will probably be brilliant in 12 months um, but it, it, it probably shows the rigours of the Premier League and he, he's unfortunately coming into a team that by it, by its own manager's admission, is undergoing a process of revolution, and we're not necessarily asking him to fit in. We're asking him to come into a new league, and also, can we build the team around you? Mm. Uh, it, it's an incredibly difficult scenario for him to be to be coming into, but that that are that they are the pressures when you've performed at, at such a high level in Syria. But it it's it's definitely one that. I think the temptation to go back to the original point will be to create a solid spine of the eleven, so that you can free people like Richarlison and the Hamezo. I don't necessarily think there has to be too much design around those players because they are so instinctively brilliant that good things will happen if if you get to that stage. But if you if you give away cheap goals against teams like Fulham and Burnley, they will make it incredibly difficult for you. And I think that the last thing as talented as these players are now, the last thing we want is to have 11 men behind the ball and, and trying to, to break down teams because the personnel might be new, but the football club is still there and that is what Everton have historically always struggled with. Um, so I think we we probably need to get back to, to keeping those clean sheets and, and being a difficult side to beat because we've got the power to do damage up the other end. Uh, Paddy, when Mark suggested the prospect of Ben Godfrey playing in midfield, you shook your head a little bit there. Not not something you're too keen on. No, I, I don't put square pegs in round holes. I just don't think that works very well. <laughs> He's played there before. Um, he he has done, but he has done at York City, and York City's not the Premier League. So he was brought in as a centre back. Why would you risk his long term development as a centre back for three or four games? I, 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 I don't see the point in that. They've got midfielders in the squad. Mm. And if those midfielders are not good enough, then what's the point in having them there? Well, have they got a natural holding midfielder, apart from Gabama, who obviously isn't available and probably won't be fully fit for you know, probably a while here? Fabian Delft can contribute, Carney. Um, I don't know. Maybe. I'm not sure about that. When I say contribute, I mean when he is actually. On the- <laughs> um, this is the podcast. Mark just put his hood up and <laughs> hid. I'm hiding from Fabian Bell. I, I, I don't. I don't think Mason Holgate, Mason Holgate, or Ben Godfrey are best suited to play in that role. 
they might be stopgap solutions yeah. in, in emergency situations, like we saw with Holgate last year, where I thought he filled in admirably for those games against Manchester United and, and Leicester. If you actually look at his numbers from those games, he didn't really do anything that you would expect of a defensive, mid, defensive midfielder other than winning a few tackles. Mm. So I don't think he is a long-term solution in that position. I don't think Ben Godfrey is either. Those guys are going to be needed in defence. They Both of them give Edison the option of playing extra 5-10 meets higher up the pitch with that defensive line. I think that's quite important as we look at ways to holistically change what's happening at Everton at this moment in time. I actually think the big elephant in the room, and it's Everton's greatest strength, but it probably also becomes the greatest weakness, is Hamas and Hamas's positioning. And I think what we can talk about, Alan, and I, I do agree to an extent that actually he's, he's a guy that wanders looking for the ball. He goes, he goes vertically rather than horizontally at his best. So there's an issue there. But I think everything stems from the fact that sides have worked out now that if you get touch tight with Hamez like Luke Shaw did, you stop him turning and coming inside on his left foot, then he negates his influence because he's not going to go on the outside. They also know that he's not going to be able to track back. And that's not because I don't that's not because I don't believe he doesn't want to. I think the the intention would be there. But he's just not got the legs for it. He's not a mobile footballer and he, he probably never has been <laughs> in truth. So what we saw against Manchester United was Manchester United attacking more than 50% of the time down Everton's right and giving Seamus Coleman an impossible task. Not only was he up against Marcus Rashford, who was a difficult opponent anyway, one-on-one, but Martial was pulling out there. Bruno Fernandes was pulling out there. We saw Fernandes do that for the second goal and he scored the first, obviously. Luke Shaw was bombing on at times. Sides now know how to get at Everton. And that's becoming Achilles' heel, I think, as a position. So there are, there are a variety of different issues. Alan is one. Which central defensive partnership you go with has been another. But I consider the centre of defence a good problem because there are a variety of different options there. And at least you can change things if you want to. With Hamas, you either shift him or the problem remains. So I actually think that at the moment, looking at Everton now, what might need to happen is Hamez goes inside and becomes a number 10 that effectively just plays in that space between our midfield and our attack, links things together, and that you actually play with, say, Richarlison on one side and either Bernardo or Gordon on the other, and effectively just look to get back to those basics because at the moment it's just too easy to play against Everton down there. I think it gives opposition sides an outball. How many goals have we seen from that position against Southampton? Uh, against yeah. Newcastle with Ryan Fraser. So I don't think Everton will improve substantially until that changes. Whatever happens with Alan in midfield, whatever happens with Delph, Ducore, Gabamin, all those players. Um, and, and that's why I think that still, it's still worth looking at the big picture almost. It's worth looking at systems and things like that rather than just individuals. From a medium term point of view, you also keep sides guessing from a from a week to week basis. I think as much as as much as it may not be a, a totally natural move for Ancelotti, and he, he wouldn't have done it if he wasn't forced into it to bring Hammers inside. What it does three or four games down the line is 
it creates that that scepticism for the opposition about where James is going to play for that next game. I think at the moment there's there's a danger of it all becoming very predictable. Yeah. Uh, and, and as much as it looks fantastic when it's working, if if you have got a a kind of robust tactical approach to playing James Rodriguez, it, we've we already know. It's ten games into the season that it's possible to nullify him because that that's exactly what we saw at the weekend. Uh, and unless Ancelotti goes out and buys Gibral Sidibe and goes for this two right back role, and we are we are constantly going to have issues down that side because that's not you advocating that, by the way, is it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm on the phone. <laughs> uh, it, it's very hard, as Paddy points out, a number of the the goals that have come down that side this season. I'm struggling mentally now to think of too many attacks that have come down Evans' left-hand side. Um, and, and that is possibly a nod to the, the calibre of fullback that we've got on that side. But I think clearly we are being targeted. We have weaknesses. Um, and on, until, we, until we start addressing them, they are going to be consistently our Achilles heel. Yeah, it feels like the sort of thing that you can get away with against the bottom half. Like, yeah, yeah. You, you could play him. You could you could say just don't bother getting back against like what happened against Brighton and Palace and uh, mm-hmm. West Brom. You know, you, you just 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 you don't you don't worry. It's fine. And I think the other thing as well is I think when you when you're not playing well, I think it just benefits footballers sometimes if everything's just a, a bit more simple. Like that mm-hmm. formation we were playing earlier in the campaign had a lot of moving parts, didn't it? And the, the example I'd use of the player who seems to have loads of jobs. And seems to have loads of jobs on the side at the moment is the core, right? It's almost yeah. like, well, you've got to play box to box midfielder, but you've also got to fill in it right back when Seamus goes forward. When Hamas isn't in that space, you've got to get across and fill that space. And you've also got to get forward and provide support to, to Carvalhoon as well in central areas. And it feels like a babysitter, doesn't he? What was that? He's almost a babysitter yeah. for yeah. Hamas. And yeah. what, what, I, what I mean by that is that he, he has to shuffle across. When Hamez is up the pitch and the and possession breaks down, he becomes like this surrogate right back. Mm. Um, we've brought Ducore again, not necessarily to always do that, but I think the best football you've seen from him over the last couple of years, he's been picking up the ball and galloping forward and looking to strike from range, looking to link with, with players. He's a much better footballer, actually, than the role he's currently being given. But that's one of the quirks of this system. This system needs somebody because of where James is playing up the pitch and because of his lack of legs. The system needs somebody to fill in constantly. But that then, if Ducore is shifting across to the right, that just, that's leaving massive chunks of space in the middle as well. And he's getting dragged and getting caught between two stools. So It almost feels like Alan would be better in that position. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's a weird one, isn't it? But then, then you've got no hold in midfielder, so there's... Yeah. You 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 either make that change and you you use someone like Holgate to to be that stopgap in in the position that we assume Alan is playing now. I think the the danger of doing that also is that you kind of nullify the reason why Alan came in. I mean, all all of these jobs that we're we're asking and and for defensive midfielders to play horizontally and to cover for people, that's what your central defensive midfielder is, is essentially there for. Uh, and I think if you start if you start chopping and changing and, and using stop gaps, then it kind of negates the reason why we went out and and bought Alan in the first place. Maybe we do have to go through this kind of difficult period with him in order to achieve what we actually want out of him. I think if we start compromising now and and trying to shift him around that midfield three, then you lose a lot of clarity about what he was actually brought into the eleven to do. Yeah, maybe we should just sell Hammers. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I, all I, these problems would be gone then, wouldn't they? I've bought into the fact that I'll never see that fella kick a ball. Um, so if we just got rid of him now and just put me out of my misery, that would be fine. What a way to finish off from Mark Rivers, you know. Um, <laughs> someone, someone will clip that off, I'm telling you now. But obviously, I think I, can, I think I can say this on behalf of the Blue Room, we do not want to sell James Rodriguez. We'd also get a decent fee for Richarlison, but we'll bring that up next week. <laughs> There we go. Uh, well, it's just been a pleasure. Uh, 50 minutes or so has absolutely flown by. Uh, thanks very much to everyone uh, for watching on YouTube, for listening on wherever you get your podcasts. Just a reminder, uh, if you're watching us, uh, do subscribe. At the, bottom, the link in the bottom right-hand corner of your screen. If you're listening to us, leave us a rating and a review. If you want to hear more from us, The Blue Room Extra is always available. It's patreon.com slash The Blue Room Extra. Uh, multiple shows every weekday talking about the toffees. And go subscribe to The Athletic as well, uh, where they've got loads of great offers on. And they've got a really good writer there, Mark, or Greg O'Keefe. He's doing, doing a smashing job. Yeah, really intelligent head on his shoulders. Uh, and it's nice he is, to get... He's not around at the moment. He's, he's on holiday, which makes my life... I, I've heard when he does a podcast, he gives the yeah. viewer guests the, the undivided attention. No getting up, making brews in the middle or anything like that. No, he doesn't make an tea midway through podcasts. <laughs> it's, very, uh, it's very telling that he is given his holiday whenever and go on international duty because it's just kind of like, you know, yeah, the important Everton content will be covered shortly. He's, he's a better human than I am. But in all seriousness, Paddy, uh, what, what sort of stuff have you got on there at the moment? What's going on this week? Yeah, so it, it is one of those weeks where you, you're looking, I think, to, to do kind of get back to feature writing. I, I, that's the thing that I enjoy more than basically anything else. Feature writing, interviews, that, that kind of stuff. When you, when you get bogged down in like three games a week, then you just get into this habit of writing about... Corey having to shuffle across the right back <laughs> position and stuff like that, which is which is worthy, of course. We, it's important that we, we we discuss the games, but just just kind of looking for interesting interview opportunities and looking looking to do features on on things past and present. Um, so yeah, some some interesting things in in the pipeline today, Wednesday. Um, there was kind of an all encompassing, like you said earlier, all encompassing Q and A, and just kind of going back over it and just going through like all the things that were discussed. You could, New stadium, sleeve sponsor, Anthony Gordon, of course, because Anthony Gordon is the topic or one. Isco as well. At the moment, Isco, Isco is always a topic at the moment. Uh, Marcel Brands' future, Jane Tosin, Ellis Sims, what does Ellis Sims bring? All these kinds of things. Gabamin's fitness. So uh, check that out. Um, yeah. I'll give myself a plug. And we'll, put, um, we'll put a link in the. Uh... Even better then. Yeah, we'll put a link in the description if you to, to Paddy's page if you want as well. I'm expecting to see why Everton should sell Hammers Rodriguez by Paddy Boyland. Um, it can be a guest column from Mark Mosey if he wants, but I'm never going <laughs> to put those thoughts to paper in any meaningful do, do a shared byline, it'll be fine. Uh, Everton's Gareth, Gareth Bale-esque spending spree on the back of selling Richarlison. What seven players <laughs> could we get in for that fee? Soldado <laughs> and Paulinho coming to Everton. Right, do, do you know what? Eric Lamella. I was winding this podcast down, but uh, there we go. Uh, thanks very much for watching. Thanks very much, my head's gone. Thanks very much for watching. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, we'll be back again same time next week with the weekly. Take care. Thank you. Progressive presents Forced Metaphors about bundling your home auto and other vehicles. 
In hockey, it's the goalie's job to protect the net. And in life, your net is your home and auto, but also your boat, motorcycle, RV, or ATV. And your goalie is the round-the-clock protection offered by Progressive Insurance. Well, and also the savings you get when you bundle. So in this metaphor, you have two goalies, which is okay because, you know, it's just a metaphor. Forced Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. Sports Social Podcast Network.